Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Luc Duwandel as a guest. Luc is a journalist, ex-editor-in-chief of the Sunday newspaper, plus expert in communications, press, marketing, advertising, and advertising training. Thanks so much for joining on the podcast. One question I'm always curious about, because I actually also have a degree in journalism. What was your reason for studying journalism in the, in the first place, back in the days? Well, I haven't studied journalism at all. Uh, I have spent the career of, uh, I think, about 45 years in communication, all kinds of communication, as you said, training, marketing, advertising, journalism. And journalism was the final uh, episode in that career. I came to the magazine that I worked for merely by accident, in fact. But because of my previous experience in communication, I regard journalism from a slightly different point of view as most journalists from a more marketing advertising point of view, which is interesting uh, because you will see that if I analyze what is happening now, it's also from that point of view that I analyze it. And journalism, as I see it now, especially in the corona period, has been a fantastic example of a successful marketing campaign. I mean, journalism has succeeded in the last two years in convincing people whole populations, that they need a product that they didn't know before, that they crave for now, and that they want at any price. That is an example of marketing that has never, I have never seen it before. In years to come, people will use this as a case study how marketing has to be done. Moreover, this was free. Nobody has paid for this marketing campaign. In fact, we have, but the governments have had their marketing for free. That's a very special case of journalism that we have seen now. And do you think that always was the case, but with mass media and social media, the marketing campaigns only became bigger or was the original role or the role during 40s, 50s, 60s, was that a bit different when it came to the purpose of journalism? Well, marketing now via mass media is, as I usually put it, is a way of influencing people through and this has been the case in the last few years, through brainwashing. Why have the people been brainwashed? Well, because there has been fear-mongering by the media. Why did the media perform this kind of fear-mongering? They wanted people to adhere to a program that they were developing. And their fear-mongering has played a very important role. It started in China. As you know, the, the, the whole pandemic started in China with people dropping dead in the streets. China being a communist country, they said, this is the opportunity that we have to show how we handle this crisis and to show how efficiently we can be in handling crises. So they influenced the media. Well, they don't have to influence the media. The media are in a communist country are influenced. They are propaganda media. And they showed us these people dropping dead in the streets, people getting locked up in rooms and they created fear. That's the key. They created fear, and the fear spread all over the world because they, they spread the images all over the world. 
I must admit, I myself was worried in the beginning. I said to my wife, this must be something like Ebola. We must be careful because we're dropping dead in the street if mm. we catch it. So we have to be very careful. And that was a general feeling. Now, that general feeling subsided in me, at least, when I saw the figures of this cruise ship, Diamond Princess, I believe. And I studied the figures there. That was an ideal sample. It was a, an isolated sample, dream for every statistician. And we saw there on that ship that the fatality rate was rather low. In fact, just a little bit higher than flu. And I said again to my wife, I said, let's stop worrying. This is nonsense. This is bullshit. What we see here is manipulated. So that where my fear subsided, but that didn't, that was not the case in the general population because I studied these figures and I said, let's have a look at Medscape and other uh, scientific publications. But of course, people don't do that. They just look at the news. And in the news all over the world, you saw these images of people dropping dead. Now, also in the Belgian media, they immediately jumped on this because a journalist nowadays had little time, little money, and little, I would say, little enthusiasm, as I know them, because they have so much, so little time. So what did they do? They had, this is an opportunity to make a new news every day without much trouble. That's what they did. So they started the same fear-mongering in all these countries, especially in Italy in the beginning, and then afterwards in all the other surrounding countries. Because, and that was a little afterwards, they discovered that it was a fantastic business model. Fear-mongering is a fantastic business model. Clicks will go up, view, viewing rates go up, ratings in general go up. So it's a fantastic model to earn money. And that's where the pandemic started. I always say, no media, no pandemic. Without the media, there would not have been a pandemic. It's perhaps a little bold to say this, but I think it's true. Well, I'm, I also have my own opinion about what's behind it and, and, and you know, why it works. I, I saw even some numbers about um, advertisements on America and that 80% just in general is being paid by the pharma industry. Just in general, that's how big the advertisement is there. But I'm also going to challenge you some, sometimes to explain to people like how this is possible. We have the national broadcast television in Belgium, the, the VRT. They paid with public money. How come they do it? Because you could imagine that maybe if there's money to be made by manipulating the attention and getting the viewers up for private magazines, private channels, but even public channels do this who are paid by the public. So what is the benefit of them for pushing this negative news or maybe even propaganda? Well, there are three possibilities. Or they are lazy. Many journalists are lazy. I know I am. If you can easily find content on the internet or wherever, you will take it, even without checking it nowadays. But there's another possibility, I think. They've been influenced. All these people know each other. Even the, the moguls of our national newspapers, they call the prime minister, prime minister by his first name. They hunt together. They wine and dine together. So all these people know each other in a small country like ours. It's, it's one big family, in fact. So I think they have been influenced. And moreover, it's an easy business. Even for them, their rates go up when they bring the, this fear-mongering. That's the big problem. They, from the very start, they noticed that this was working. They saw it in the clicks. They saw it in their, their figures. 
it was working. So that's that's what made them do it. Nothing else, I think. But and why didn't they do it with SARS or sorry? Mexican flu or other pandemics or so-called because it pandemics? it wasn't started somewhere. This was already started for them. They just had to follow. With SARS, they should have done it themselves because there was no national or geographic national, international fear-mongering going on. Here it started in China and it went around like a fire, like a wildfire. And that's so easy. I've been an editor-in-chief myself for 10 years. I can assure you getting a Sunday magazine with a limited team printed and full every week, that's not easy. So what we do is, first of all, <laughs> is for some time, I even check of what do we have good photographs? What's in our stock in photography? What is cheap in photography? And then when we found that, we linked an article to that because it was easy to find, it was cheap, and it didn't cost much time. Time is a main factor in this whole process. Well, this is something that I also realized when you know I studied sociology that you could even see the rise of propaganda in all kinds of institutions that it was more about, I have an ideological opinion and I'm going to create a study that confirms that conclusion that I want to be drawn. That's the same thing. Like I have something that I want to be pushed. I have a conclusion and you ha don't have to look for new news. You just have to create stories around this. No. Like I admit that's what we sometimes did, not all of the time, of course, because we, all, we were also looking for scoops. And if we had a scoop, the scoop went first. But in, in a difficult time when there was not much news to find, that's what we did. We checked our photo stock and said, okay, we have nice images of this and that. So environment is always nice. Traffic is always nice. Health is always nice to find. So that's how it works. Uh, and it's not different in a major TV station have a lack of time. They don't have many professional people anymore. It's all superfluous. It's, it's, they never go into depth. We also, but most people don't realize, and they can look at the documentary by Tim Gielen, which is called Monopoly, or I don't know what the total title is. When people look at the structures of the media companies in, in Europe, in America, it's like a pyramid hierarchy that they are owned by a lot of companies. If you look in the UK, you end up with a couple. If you go to Belgium and the Netherlands, you have Vantilo Media. So when people think we have so much different newspapers and yeah, but when you see who owns them, you end up at a, <laughs> a couple crucial media companies and yeah. that's it. That's correct. In, in Belgium, you mentioned the name of uh, Vantilo. They have been buying newspapers in Holland the last few years in, in other countries with the help of the Belgian government, because they are subsidized heavily. They, they are sponsored for about 180 million euros per year for the distribution of their papers, newspapers. So with that money, they buy other assets abroad. I mean, and they get more powerful and more powerful. And as you say, in the, if, if you follow the, the, the pyramid, it all boils down in Belgium to four or five very powerful people. And I don't say they influence their, their journalists. I don't think they do that. But they create an atmosphere in which a certain kind of journalism will thrive. That's what they do. They don't interfere. I've, I know Christian Van Tillo personally. I've met him uh, several times when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I've worked for one of his companies, in fact. He will never interfere with the daily business. But they create an atmosphere that generates a certain kind of journalism. It's a subtle way of doing it, but it works. Isn't it also that these major press agencies as Reuters, they roll off the press and 
because of lack of time, because of laziness, because of lack of critical thinking, because of instructions, who knows? A lot of these people just reproduce and change some words from the release of Reuters. And then it kind of spreads around the world because sometimes you look at articles and there's not a lot of big difference between them, or it's just the translation of the, the Reuters article. Or am I wrong here? No, it's a lot of cut and paste going on. As I said, it's laziness, it's lack of time, it's lack of budget, because don't understand me wrong, these people have billions of generated by the press, but they don't, mainly, most of the time, they don't invest it in, in their journalists. The average journalist in Belgium is very underpaid, has little time, and has no ambition to stay in the media where he is. There's a lot of job hopping also. Well, that's what I often see when I see the very low quality of journalism or the nonsense issues. We can talk about the topics that appear in social media and journalism. When I do the research about who is writing these articles, I often end up with these 19, 20-year-olds. Like 75, 80% of the time is like, oh, now I get it. That's just a girl or a boy who's happy to have a job. They just execute. They don't have time to have that thorough in investigative journalism that is also very cost and time intensive. And then I see all these young, naive people or, or you know, like not so experienced people just writing these articles and just pushing them out like, like crazy, you know? Yeah, but that's, that's true. Very young, unexperienced, non-trained sometimes, which is not bad because I wasn't trained in journalism myself. Mm. So I'm a, I'm a bad example, perhaps. But many of these people are from different kinds of study. They studied something completely different. And the problem is they see journalism as, as a way to communicate for themselves, which makes it even more difficult mm. to get objective journalism. And what is most stunning, um, I think, in this aspect in the corona time is that they forgot about scoops. I mean, the best moments I had when I was a, an editor-in-chief is when we hit a scoop. That's what every mm -hmm. journalist, every editor is dreaming of, hit a scoop and be mentioned in other media because of that scoop. There were scoops every day during the corona period. They were there for the taking. I mean, in our country, you have people like Matthias de Smet, like Geert van den Bossen, people who are, who have, who are well famous now for the moment. Yeah. I mean, even Eric Clapton mentions Matthias de Smet mm -hmm. when he's giving interviews. I mean, these people are world famous. I have not seen them in Belgian media. Yeah. That is, for me, the most astonishing feat in this period. Well, I had the same conversation with my parents yesterday, and uh, you had one member of... Um the crisis management team, Lieven Anamans there, and he seems to have had an interview yesterday with our famous virologist. And uh, he said, yeah, he quit, you know, and he kind of quit because he felt like his opinion didn't matter. And it was all about three things, infections, deaths, and hospitalizations. But when I take a look at the corona critical people, I mean, just people are critical or want to use a different voice. I can count them on one hand. I would have to go to Jean-Marie de Decker, Sambroken, maybe Rectors, and then I would have to maybe do a lot of effort just to find two people. And we're talking about an aspect that's in the news like 30% of the time. And we're, we're in yeah. this for almost two years. And I've almost seen no coronal critical voices and debates at all. H how is this possible? That's what I'm still asking myself every day. I haven't found an answer because it is so amazing, so stunning that, I mean, if I would be editor-in-chief now, 
I would interview Matthias Smith, Van den Bosse, Blocker. Yeah. They would be on the cover with their opinion. Not always, and not only their opinion, but they at least would be there once in a month or so. We haven't seen anything of them. So that is a very strange thing to happen. I mean, what kind of journalist is he who lets these scoops, who knows they are there because yeah. they don't live on Mars, they know they are there, but why do they neglect it? Well, uh, you know, this is the whole thing. And it's also why I started my podcast. The the essence why I started like journalism and sociology is because I'm curious. And to be curious, you ask questions. Yeah. You don't seek answers. You ask questions. You don't have to agree, but you ask questions. So some debates can be held. You don't only have to have Corona critical people. You can have people talk about the suicides, mental illness, obesity, you know, the lack of social support, the loneliness, all these factors that are not like talked about. But there's another thing that's also happening. When I see some of these people, I don't call this an interview. It's more like an interrogation. <laughs> yeah. It's more like beforehand, that's the good person, that's the bad person. And that's how the debate is framed. So this way of, 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 of holding an interview, having journalism, that seems to be completely different than just making sure that you have a constructive debate, an open debate. You have people make up their own mind. I look at how it's framed. And it's like they don't let people make up their own mind. They like to frame things so they be, you come to that pre-decided conclusion, at least according to me. Yeah, that's correct. I wanted to know, for instance, I would want to know if I read about on, on social media then about people like the Smet or like Van der Bosch, I want to know who these people are. Are they true? Are they trustworthy? What are they? I, I almost want to meet them face to face, which I did because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I then invite them and I, I meet these people. But not everyone can do that. So that is what lacked in this whole this whole charade is you didn't first of all you didn't know about these people. You read yeah. about them on social media. It's not really they're framed. Easy. They're framed in terms of sometimes they say like uh, extreme right or conspiracy theorist or they compare Geert van der Bosch in a denigrating way, always just a, a veterinary, how do you call it in English? I don't know, a vet, you know? A vet, yeah, veterinary. But then you have other people, I think Steven de Gucht, of other people also, but there's also a vet, but then then, then they use the title. So yeah. you see this discrepancy in how things are handled. And I've seen this increasingly the last years, also with Trump. Trump, Trump can step outside of the plane with the wrong foot and he's the worst president ever. And then Biden can just say a sentence and everything is amazing. And I'm like, why can't there be constructive reporting of both? I would respect if they critique both or they are mild on both. But it, it, it seems that there's a more and more an ideology being pushed and the public got to agree with that opinion than showing different perspectives and making the viewer or reader make up their own mind. And that's something maybe I've been naive about this in the past, right? But this is what I've increasingly been witnessing the last 10, 20 years that this has been kind of the way how journalism is being held compared to maybe the journalism I wasn't born then, but in the Vietnam War, you know, and being critical and hippies and then reporting and having scoops. What happened to journalism there that it became much more one-sided, not about showing perspectives, not about being a guarding dog for democracy? Well, that's the most frustrating thing about it. That's the framing that has been happening the last two years of people who have a different voice. As you mentioned the, the Vietnam War. I remember during that war, a few journalists found secret documents about the handling of the Vietnamese War. And they wanted, I think it was the Washington Post, they wanted to publish it. The government 
got aware of that. They got news of that, and they wanted to prevent it. So that went up to the the how's it called in in, in America the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. where the, the judge of the Supreme Court said you have to publish it. The press is there to support the government, not the governors. And that is what went completely wrong in the last two years. The press has supported only, and I mean only, the government and not the people who they govern. And that is a very big mistake. It's, it's really nasty because you see what the results are, what the results are. People are scared. They are willing to comply with everything. And that is not journalism anymore. That's propaganda. We have seen propaganda for the last few years. What is propaganda? Propaganda is communication by a government, by a dictator or by whatever government. We've seen propaganda, and there's, there's no good in that. I mean, there is no investigative German journalism left. In 1999, before the year 2000, I did some investigative journalism myself. I wrote for Humo, which is a... Mm. A, a good magazine. Back in the days was a good. Back in the days was a good magazine, <laughs> uh, and the editor in chief said, "I would, I would like you to write something about," and that was new at the time. The dangers of short, short wave communication, GSM. Yeah, yeah. And I said, "How much time do I get?" And he said, "I only have uh, three weeks." And I said, "What budget do I get?" And mm-hmm. he said, "You have a thousand euros." Wow. Okay. Now today. That would be completely, completely impossible. I had the time to interview professors from the VIT, which is a scientific institution in Belgium. I had time to interview different operators. I had time to have word and contra word. There was a dialogue. There was a dialogue possible. To cut it short, that was possible 22 years ago. Completely impossible now. A freelance journalist that worked for me when I was an editor-in-chief had 10 euros for a photograph and 20 euros for an article of 1,200 letters. That's ridiculous. I mean, you have to go out, take a photograph, come back, edit it, send it, invoice it, of which you get half paid. I mean, that's ridiculous. This is also one of the reasons why I didn't pursue journalism, because back then when I graduated in the beginning of the 2000s, there was no room for investigative journalism. It was like, write this, this many words, I want you to say this. And the creativity was just like so little. And I think one mistake that people have in general, probably about the media in general, but increasingly now, it has nothing to do with helping people think for themselves or bringing the truth or several truths. It's about gathering attention. (laughs) And yeah. it's about putting the focus there on something that, that gets attention and that attention, especially the private media that gets more eyes to the advertisers. So people pay more for the advertisers. So that, that attention sells. It's not that truth sells. It's that attention sells. Yeah. And clicks, there, there's a new, new element now. Clicks, they all have their online version of their newspaper or their, even their TV channel has an online version. I can imagine clickbait, uh, right? I can't imagine that in the Vietnam where you had something like, oh, this is clickbait, right? But it was more difficult to just have clickbait. Yeah. Now it's all clickbait. I mean, the the pandemic is coming to an end. Now. Everyone with common sense can see that Omicron is not contagious. In fact, it's over. Mm-hmm. I always say, give it up, boys. 
came over. But they won't give up because there's this business model and it's perfect. And they want to continue. They have their clicks. They have their clickbait. That's the big problem. And the problem is they're intertwined with the government and they have the same problem. They can't go back because they can't go saying that we were wrong. We were completely wrong. We fooled you. We, we led you astray. They can't do that. So that's a big problem. How are we going to stop this? Especially in the media. There's nothing easier for a journalist than to go on with what it's doing. As I said, in, in the past, when we had a, a difficult time getting the paper full, we said, okay, the, let's take the environment. You can always write about the environment. You always have pictures about the environment. What is your opinion about Udolf Ulkotte, his book, Bought Journalist? Who? Have you read the book, Bought Journalists, by Udolf Ulfkotte? No. That was like a book that he written for uh, famous German agencies. And he also talked about the CIA, other people influenced them to write certain articles. I know you're very critical of conspiracy theories, but what is your stance towards powerful institutions, powerful individuals influencing certain newspaper or stories so it keeps on being pushed or it becomes an issue in the media? This is... One thing that I studied a lot, culture Marxism, that traditional Marxism was, you know, a revolution with violence, the poor against the rich. Culture Marxism, and it goes back to Gramsci, he talked about in the, the, the Prisoner's Red Book, we have to do the march through the institutions, which means we have to change the culture within itself. And mm -hmm. I see one of the important pillars besides like Hollywood entertainment and also education, the media being one of the pillars that hugely influence people, their perception. What is your opinion of some people who say like powerful institutions, powerful people who gain a lot of power, money and influence in this crisis, they are purposely sponsoring, navigating, influencing these important pillars. We're talking about the media right now to portray a certain story that really fits them really well. Well, that's not new, of course. I mean, when I was a journalist, when I started uh, as an editor-in-chief, even then it existed. If you want a good coverage, what do you do? You organize a press conference in a very good restaurant. You give the best food and the best drink. Nobody will write badly about what you were presenting there. Mm -hmm. So it's not new. It's the same in, in a medical, medical world. They go on fantastic trips, on cruises. Of course, it's for, for a symposium takes half an hour, but the other three days are whining and dining. I mean, that's not new. Influencing people in general, not only in the press, is not new. Marketing, in advertising, in the press, the press doesn't escape from this general principle. But in the last few years, in the corona time, it has been very present. It has been admitted. In Denmark, in Germany, in, was it Switzerland? I don't know, there was a third country. The editor-in-chief of a few newspapers admitted that they had been influenced, literally, focally, by the government. And that is a, a bridge too far. It's not a bridge too far, it's a viaduct too far. It's 20 bridges. I mean, that should not happen. That's what the Supreme Court in America said. You should work for the people, not for the governors. That is very, very bad. Very wrong, I mean. It hurts me every day if I see that. I can't watch the news anymore. It's bad for my heart. I already had a heart attack. One is enough. I mean, if I watch the news, I get so mad and so upset that I would throw my, my shoe to the, to the TV set. I mean, it's extremely 
extremely influenced now. Yeah, because this is, and I'm, I'm curious what was for you, this final straw. I became a bit red-pilled when I was reading. I was sitting at a job I didn't like, and I watched like the Latsenispen BA every day. And when you look at the lens through culture Marxism, I mean, what I'm going to say right now is not my stance. It's just showing like a one-sided stance. It was all <laughs> refugees. They're completely right. Belgians are racist. Men are sexist. And then transgenderism. And then every, every day, every day, if, if, if a person is extreme right in Belgium and he does something wrong, it has to be investigated. Belgians are racist. You know, we have to do something about it. If Muslims do something in Belgium, oh, this is an exception, you know, and we should take a look if they're not a victim of racism, you know. If, if, if any accusation is there towards men, it's like they're sexist. There's so much sexism, uh, gender wage gap constantly. If a man complains, if that happens, it almost happens never. Refugees are always like guys with children, women with children, even though like refugee stream is like 80% men. So I'm just saying I didn't see any nuance. Trump, everything was negative, everything, like not one positive article. And then I was just like, this has nothing to do with journalism. It's all one. Climate change is the worst thing ever. It's super real. We should tackle something about it. Nothing critical about it. If it was, it was like climate deniers. And when I put on those glasses, it was all over the place, always attacking Western male white culture, the racist immigration refugees, we should let everybody win. And then climate change is the worst thing ever. And then back when Trump was a president, oh my God, Trump is the new Hitler. And, and it doesn't mean that I see some things that you could have in journalism, but it was so one-sided. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's, it's really disturbing. And it's not only in journalism. I mean, if you switch on Netflix, Watch mm -hmm. any film on Netflix. Yeah. It's the same problem. Yeah. Yesterday I was watching something on Netflix and I switched it off after 10 minutes. I said, this is ridiculous. This is again the same brainwashing shit that I see in newspapers on national television. It's the same. It has nothing to do anymore with reality. I mean, I don't know, I don't know where it comes from because the people who are running these stations, they are Western men. They have loads of money. They are very rich. They are very conservative most of the time. The, the ones I know are very conservative. Some of their capital came from collaborating with the Germans in the, in the war. They couldn't be any more conservative. And then you have this contrast in what they make. I don't. Know and it's it. not even successful because you watch these movies about Star Wars and new Ghostbusters and its identity politics, politically correct movies, and they almost always flop. So even from a financial perspective... That's not the big movies. It's also the reason why a lot of these recent movies, I don't mind if Ripley in Alien is a woman or there's an Indian in it, but this forceful, one-sided narrative all the time, it's even so bad that certain, from a certain year in the Oscars, they have to have X diverse people behind the camera, in the script, like everywhere, because else they can't even be nominated for an Oscar. I think the pendulum has gone way too far. I see, I've, I've been in advertising. I've had an advertising agency for 10 years. And I see the, the, the trend also in advertising. I watched a commercial yesterday and I saw four people in that commercial. One was black. An Indian and then a Muslim. <laughs> so is that the, the average of our yeah. population? It is not. It is not a true image of what reality is. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's advertising. They're trying to sell to people. I mean, what are they doing? It's the pendulum. The pendulum, of course, I'm also like every decent human being. I'm against racism. Mm -hmm. I'm against extremism. 
in any in any form. But the pendulum has now way gone gone way too far to the other side, and that is disturbing because it's creating an anti movement that is going to be much stronger than what they expect. Well, if you don't feel listened to, you get a backlash, and if you never can negotiate or speak your mind, you just cultivate resentment. It goes so far that if you would have a company, they look at your company and without without asking why you hired people. They're just going to take a look around and say like, oh, only white people. You're a racist. Look, and you're like, oh, well, yeah. I hire any people because they're the best or because this doesn't matter. Too much whiteness here. And again, here, this has nothing to do with thinking for yourself, having an honest discourse. No, they just look and then say, okay, bam, you're racist. You don't have enough colored people in your division. And yeah, this is the case in Ghent, right? In city in Belgium, when they're going to hire people in a public office and they have two people and one is colored and one is not colored and they have the same competency, then they have to hire the colored people. But who's going to decide if they have the same competency? They probably don't want to be blamed to be a racist department. So they might as well get the obligatory, I'm putting it in a denigrating way, but they need to hire the obligatory colored person not to be called racist. Yeah, the same with men and women. When I had the advertising agency, we had uh, 23 people of whom 18 were ladies, were women. Mm -hmm. I would be called to the by the Me Too people now because I would be a hero in their in their eyes. But that was a, that was just because they were the most competent for the job that I found, not because I don't like I, I like ladies. But it's but, so one-sided. Yes, to, to give you like an example based on this, there was a whole stuff about Bartha Pau, one of the people in the comedy who on the television who wrote a lot of series, and then some women accused him that he said that he stalked them or said some bad messages to them. So that's on one hand, which was all over the media and a big issue and in, in the papers, etc. But then at the same time, you had the SMSs of our prime minister with an Italian porn star. <laughs> nothing, nothing yeah. in the media at all. Two, 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 two times the same thing about women, you know, like, like crossing boundaries and nothing. So I'm like, whoa, what's happening here? Where is the objectivity or using the same principle here? It's basically... You know, if if Dries van Langenhove, who is extreme right or or conservative right, does something bad, it is all over the newspaper. It has to be investigated. But when the same thing or principle is being said, or Conor Usona, who's like really calling for segregation, you know, polarization in people, discrimination, then it's okay because he's left wing. So yeah, it's more about ideology than it's actually about principles. Where have the principles gone in journalism? It is, it is that discrepancy that is so disturbing. But of course, in the case of our prime minister, it's the link between the, uh, the happy few in Belgium and the prime minister who control the media that has uh, succeeded in keeping this from the news. But in general, there's a discrepancy between the reality and between what the press is bringing. And they are digging their own grave. I mean, people can take this for a while, but they won't keep taking it. That's a big success of social media. I know people who have, like me, switched off their TV sets and switched on their computers to get news and to see what's happening in the world. Of course, when you use social media to see what's happening in the world, you also get a very biased picture because everyone can write anything. The wildest conspiracy theory can be distributed on social media. But if you are careful and if you are selective, you get much better and much recenter and much more interesting news on social media than you get on, on mass media, which should be worrying them. But they are not worried. I think they are not worried yet, but they will be worried when they go on like this.
they're forfeiting their primary, their most important task, that is defending the citizens' rights. That's what the media would do. They are the fourth power in a democracy. And their power is to control governments, to control what's happening, to see what's happening, and to report it. News gathering in the broadest sense and report what's happening. As a control function, it's very important. They have lost that control function completely. They've sold it. I mean, nowadays, if people would ask me, what is your job? I would rather say I'm a pimp and I'm a journalist. Mm-hmm. Much more respectful. I call it a prostitute. Prostitutes are called oh, yeah, journalists right now. Yeah, but I'm a pimp as a, as a male. I would rather be a pimp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm wondering, and that's my theory, I, I am uh, thinking that there's a lot of people who would love to have more control. And how do you, can you get more control by having more centralized institutions? What's the biggest centralized institutions? More global institutions. So if you have a global press agency or if you have global companies determining the perception of people, you would really have to be an investigative, I would call it true detective, to look at alternative media or podcasts to look for it. But the majority will only see the bandwidth of acceptable perception. And then they have a job maybe that they don't like in nine to five, they end up at home and they don't want to search for other theories. You know, that's just the thing that they see. So if you can, especially on social media, fact checkers, opinion checkers, you know, bans, blocks, removing people, character assassination of people, you can, for the vast number of people, these are the means of perception of people. These are the means of communication. And if these big companies determine what you can see, whether you want to or not, that perception becomes reality. And some people, yeah, they look for an alternative truth, but it takes effort to look the other way and question things or make time for it. I'm like that. You're like that. A lot of people in my audience are like that. But the vast majority of people? No. But that's a problem, of course. It'll take time. It will come, but it will take time. People are so used to having the TV set on, even during dinner or even when they're preparing the dinner in the kitchen, they have a TV set. And it's like a third person in the room. Television is a hugely powerful medium. It's always there. It's like a family member. And people, if the family member isn't there, they feel alone. They feel, they feel left, left alone. So to counter that, there's only one thing you can do. Let's make your own TV station. If I would, would be younger, I would have started the TV station a year ago. If I would have started fundraising and I would have started the TV station. I know that there is in Belgium, there is a lawyer now, Michael, Michael Verstraat, mm. who has started a TV, an online TV mm. station, which is a good thing, I think. But I'm not sure if it will be powerful enough because it's low budget. You need, you need a fortune. To start the station. And also, should that TV station then try to be balanced and invite both sides? Or will that TV station then will just be an echo chamber of the complete other side? No, it should be objective as much as objective as possible. It should rethink what journalism is about. It should start again with real news gathering, not cut and paste, not copy what someone else in Italy has written or in, in France. No, start real investigative journalism. That is something that is lost completely. I mean, there is also much local news that is very important. In the same, the same company that edited the, 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 the newspaper where I was editor-in-chief, they had local papers. They had the Streekrand. They had yeah. Sports Magazine. Local papers, which were very important, in fact, because these papers in the beginning, when they started, they brought local news. Now, local news for people is very, it's very expensive to make because you need journalists 
in every commune almost or, or in every city you need journalists but it is important and it has disappeared completely when i made the zondag we had a big section of local news with a team of uh, seven eight freelancers we gathered all the lo local news and people read this first i know because we did a survey about that but it was too expensive so it now disappeared completely if you read the same paper now as on that you see that it is mainly national news one big interview with a politician and that's it all the rest is agenda i mean where is what piece is playing there's no local news left and that is very very bad because the local news is the basis of everything it's where scoops start many scoops start on the local level somebody who has seen something in their neighborhood or in their street and they tell their local journalist you know this have you seen that that's how news start that's how scoops can spread like a wildfire and that is lacking completely it's gone well i've read some articles that the ratio negative to positive is nine to one when it comes to the news what do you think would happen this is completely idealistic what would happen if the news and the window into the world would be like eight to one positive what would happen if for a year like let's say journalism they report some things that are going on but they would try to focus on the constructive meaningful or the positive and try to give that attention what do you think would happen in that year i don't think there's much that would change the actual form of journalism is so embedded in society and people are so used to what they get fed every day they wouldn't even see the difference in the beginning. It would take a lot of time. And that is the big problem. They are addicted. They are now addicted to the fear-mongering. Matthias Smet declares that very, very precisely. He says, fear becomes a cocoon in which people feel safe. And the media is doing that. They are providing that cocoon in which they can feel safe, among other scary Anxious yeah, like he said, it becomes a thing that they get uh, because I actually see the link with identity politics and I say there's a huge anxiety and meaning crisis because people don't have a meaningful identity anymore. But this fear becomes the identity cocoon to fight against something and with that would fall away. You would have that anxiety resurfacing again and people have nothing to clamp on anymore. Even if they clamp on something negative, which is this fear, oh, yeah. it just gives something to clamp on again. Yeah. That, that is what the media have understood very well now. I mean, with Omicron, you see that the pandemic is over. But they start looking. I, I noticed that they already start looking for new ways. Now there is a disease that could be transmitted by mosquitoes. And they're putting that as a headline, mosquito. It is their business model. They are very reluctant to leave it. Of course, if they leave that, they still have the environment. They still have the sustainable the, development goals. Yeah, sustainable development. They have the energy prices now. There are new, already new items that I can that I can jump on if the fear mongering uh, subsides. I personally believe that the 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 media. If I'm someone who wants to push a certain narrative, if I want to have those sustainable development goals, what do I do? Or if I want something for me, first of all, I can't ask for it directly. I want to do it in a way that it seems like the right thing to do. And how do I make it seem like it's the right thing to do? By what they call astroturfing. That's like fake grass. I create a fake grass movement, right? Could be about climate, could be about something else. And I start, it starts appearing in the messages of non-governmental organizations in the media. It starts like spreading more. 
And then suddenly you act like, oh, it seems that the public wants this. It seems that it's something the public wants attention about. Oh, I might as well do something about it then. So you can artificially create public opinion by making it show up through the non-governmental organizations. They're like mushrooms, you know, and oftentimes they're sponsored by certain people. They're not just for the public. They're also behind a certain agenda. Climate change is one of them, no matter what you think about it. So you can socially engineer public opinion, then act like the Messiah, try to sell it under a virtue that sounds good, and then you get what you want. So these NGOs or the media or engineering public opinion, that way, either as a politician to get votes, get attention, or to sell products or to get more power, these these are usually influential. But the problem is that people, most of them did with Corona because they thought it was a good thing to do sustainable development goals, they're going to do this because they think, oh, we want to tackle poverty. We want to tackle overfishing. We want to reduce this. Oh, we might as well do this. People with climate change. Oh, I want to help the planet. So it's under the guise of doing something useful. But when you dig underneath, you see actually like who benefits from it. But that's again, a level of investigative journalism or thinking that most people are not doing. Well, there's no journalism in the real sense of the world anymore. What we are seeing now is marketing. What is marketing? Marketing is creating a need, creating a crave, creating influence people so that they behave in a certain way. That's marketing. That's another part of my job that I've been doing for 10 years. I've I've lived only a a normal life when I did some jobs. And the problem is journalism has been set aside in favor of marketing. What we see now is marketing. Every time I open a newspaper, I see marketing. When I look at TV show, I see the the faces on TV. They are marketed. Even their expression, their facial expressions are marketed. They're coached. Their clothing, the studio, everything is marketing. And the message should not be marketing, but even the message is marketed. We're way off what journalism should be. I repeat it. Journalism should be the defense of the of the citizen, which has completely disappeared. We have no defense left. The only defense we have now is social media. That's the only way we can defend ourselves and get into the open what is happening. And that's a a very bad situation because even there, everything is fact-checked or is you're blocked or is removed one-sidedly by by Facebook or by any other media. So it's, it's a big social problem. People have no escape for their opinion, they have no way to convey their own news. This is what I was interested in. You, you touched a little bit on it in this interview, the backlash or that they would be surprised by what happens or what will be the under pendulum swing. Could you expand a bit on this, what you think will happen or how extremes will arise or talk a bit more about this backlash that's happening because of everything going on? Well, what I see is that there will be the importance of social media will grow and grow and grow. I mean, there are new social media appearing, new apps. People are making their own TV stations. They're having blogs. So that's, that's a development that can't be stopped anymore. That's, cr- that's clear. If I were in the place of these media moguls, I would be very, very worried mm-hmm. because a newspaper is a thing of the past. A TV station, as it is now, if they continue as they are doing now, is a thing of the past. They will be they will be wiped off the market by other kinds of communication, more modern kinds of communication, 
with more local input. Here I am again with my local input than what they have. Do you see any local news on TV stations? Yes, on a local TV station. But even there, they work in the hope to be picked up by the national TV station. So the backlash will be that people like you and me will be able to spread their news. There's a lot of resistance now for the moment, of course. And there are these fact checkers paid by the mass media. There are social media who will discard you if you're not in what they, in their frame. But that's only temporary. The backlash will be, and it's not a backlash, it's a good evolution, I think, will be that local people will be able to spread their news more easily. And also, I used to be extreme left when I was studying journalism. I did hip hop and stuff. And then I became like, let's say more realistic. But already then I said it and you can dispute what I say. But this is really the case when I look at it. There is no conservative or right wing media in Belgium. None. I don't know any conservative or right wing media. Well, when you look at the votes of the Flemish people, they vote, I wouldn't call that extreme right. Everybody who's anti-immigration is immediately extreme right, which I think is a ridiculous view. You could even be left-wing and be have a critical stance towards immigration. But you have no conservative or, or right-wing voices there, while at the same time, the Flemish people vote mostly right conservative. Yeah, that's so again, here you see the citizens making a vote and then often on TV, they're like blamed or put in the extreme right corner, act like it's not there. But that underbelly, that undercurrent there, it is showing some issues that are not talked about on television, but they voted that way. And one of the things that I worry about is because I have different perspectives, left, conservative, right wing, but that because these people don't feel listened to, that indeed that's then extreme right nationalist or extreme sentiment because of all this boiling up and resentment that will take over. But that has been created by, by not mean, listening to people, by removing them, by never giving them a place, by never letting them in the government. And then you create the thing you fear. But that wasn't there in the first place. If I, if I would think they were smarter, I would think that the big moguls, the big CEOs of these media companies had a double agenda by doing this. Uh, because, in, in fact, they themselves are usually very right-wing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So... But they're not smart enough, I think, to do that. Because otherwise, that would be a fantastic strategy. What, what they are doing now is pushing people. Every day, they're pushing people to the very right side. Because they are, their news is so left-sided yeah. that they are, they are annoying people. They are frustrating people who see that the reality is different. Well, this is the thing. I was in Belgium just a week and a half ago. Can you believe I looked at home does in belgium it's the biggest soap and it was about a lesbian being gay bashed and then it was another muslim there and then another african there and then they had i'm just talking about two days right a gender swap co- party where the young children were excited to gen swap clothes and change gender then it was cut kerkhoff's about taboo about sexism and the wage gap the same cut kerkhoff's also was in the dancing with the stars you know and uh, is asking thousands of euros just to perform at tomorrowland and is getting all the attention out there so all these things that are talking about it's not just in the newspaper it's constantly on tv it's constantly in the media it's constantly being pushed that also some of the true problems with racism with sexism with these issues it, it gets bagatellized like it just becomes like a, a side affair you know like just sending the wrong message it's like the same as rape but that's a huge insult to women who are assaulted who are a victim of rape 
And this is what you say, like, it's just a discrepancy with reality, you know, like, then people sometimes have problem with North African Muslims in certain neighborhoods in Belgium, but they can't say something about it because then they're racist. But then it's New Year and they sit there with their family and they hear other stories of people who have the same issue and they just can't talk about it because it's, it's non-debatable. You can't discuss it. No, and the problem is if a journalist wants to write about it, he will get corrected immediately Yeah, by his editor-in-chief or even by his editor, I mean by the owner of the paper. I've uh, seen it myself in, with colleagues. I had a few colleagues who wanted to write more like real life is. Mm -hmm. they, they get knocked on the, on the thing, on the fingers. So I have never understood why that is. As I said, the owners are certainly not left-wing, not one of them that I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in their, in their pocket at least, yeah. And in their pocket, perhaps, yes. So what are they doing? They are selling a product that is not wanted by the public, in fact, because 50, I think 50% of the people will not want what they, what they are transmitting or what they're publishing. So what is the reason behind it? I have really no clue. This is the big mystery for me in my whole career is what is happening now. Why are they doing it? Not only here, worldwide. Well, my opinion there is that this is my thesis that one of the ways how to have stability structure is identity. The more proud you are of yourself, of your family, of your origin, of your country, of your community, the more you feel connected, the more you can plug into those networks and not feel anxious. So this is also because any other way I can't explain this, like, why do they keep pushing something that most people, you know, don't do? Most Flemish people aren't racist and most people don't want to see this every day. So for me, this identity politics and this political correctness is a way how to destroy communication, is a way how to destroy fundamental things that give people identity, the family, their gender, you know, color of their skin, their heritage, their country, to then contribute to this mass formation or uh, free-floating anxiety that Matthias Smet talks about, because you take away everything that people can take pride from. At least that's my thesis, you know, because else, just as you said, it doesn't make any sense. They keep on producing these movies and showing this, that people you know, don't align with, it's fine to sometimes show a person with a different color. Like, I don't mind. It's not like, oh, what is this non-white person working there? But this purposeful pushing every day, I, I don't see why it makes sense or benefits the public no, when it's so one-sided. They're biasing the news in the wrong direction. I mean, they, they're adding a bias in the wrong direction that their readers and their viewers don't want, and it is not congruent with Reality. I really have no explanation. It's one of the big mysteries in my life. I hope I can find out before I die. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I also would love, your, would love your opinion about is, besides the fact of the looking for truth in the media and the bias and the propaganda, there also is a thing, and we should be mindful of it, because they often frame things as conspiracy theories, which was invented by the CIA after the JFK Kennedy. And just look at the footage. There's a lot of fishy stuff going on there in terms of the angle. You know, the rifle and then the guy who, you know, shot them. He was yeah. like shot and then the other guy was shot. But on the other hand, you're also very critical of all the people who buy into all conspiracy theories, right? So how do you balance this? You look at TV, you see a one-sided narrative, and then you think, I want to look for the truth. I want to see like what's really underneath. But then on the other hand, you have people who just accept any, any kind of alternative or conspiracy theory. So how do you handle this well, as a truth seeker? For me, truth is important, so I spend a lot of time 
in my profession also, I have spent a lot of time in finding that too. I mean, if I write an article about the dangers of shortwave radiation in cell phones and wireless internet and in Bluetooth, I was lucky to get a budget to do that. And I went in depth. I interviewed people and I said, okay, this is the myth. People say it's dangerous. It can damage your cells. Others see people say, no, it's completely harmless. Mm -hmm. Usually the, the reality is somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. My job how and before, is to find that way in between. Where is it? There is no real truth, of course. The truth is never 100%. But I try to get as close to 100% as possible by doing my own research, by contacting people. That is why I, I personally know now Matthias Desmet, and I know Geert van der Bosse, because I want to see these people. I want to know how they think. I want to be able to look in their mind and see how do they come to their truth, quite sure about what they are doing and what mm -hmm. so they have come to a point where they have studied and where they have gathered all the evidence and say, okay, this is what I believe. That is what interests me. That's what I do. I try to gather as much evidence as possible. For instance, I'm very, very critical when people post something on my wall, for instance, in Facebook about chemtrails. <laughs> One example. I knew a few pilots. I've been in the Air Force mm. myself. It was mm. my third job. I was in the Air Force. So I know how, how planes work. I know what flying is. Mm -hmm. I know what condensation trails are. And then I've studied all the other possibilities. I said, are there possibilities? Is, there, is it possible that someone is spraying poison on my head mm. when I get out? I mean, if they wanted to harm me, that would be a mighty expensive and complicated way of doing it. I mean, one drop of a certain substance in my drinking water, and I'm dead. So, I mean, if you study and you study the other voices and you see what are they telling me and what are they telling me, and then you put the two together, you get a compromise that usually is close to the truth. That's what I'm doing. That's what I hope everybody should do. It's always nice to believe in conspiracy theories because they're exciting most of the time. They are wild. They are adventurous many times. So it's very enticing to believe in them. But I never believe anything at first sight, except love, perhaps. Yeah, but yeah. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> but because otherwise, I believe when I've checked. Because what often happens for most people, we're much more rational than we think. We have something which is called motivated reasoning, effective reasoning. We first have a disposition, emotional often, or maybe value-wise, and that we look for evidence that supports it. So that's also the third thing. Like I made episodes about with someone who is convinced of flat earth and people can look at it and he presents his evidence. Now people can say like, oh, that's crazy. Or people who dispute the, the moon landing. I also have questions about the moon landing in general. But yeah, the first has to be an opening, like let me just explore. But what happens most of the times is that no matter what side you're on, they just watch 30 seconds and they purposely look for anything they don't agree with. Like one thing they don't agree with, like for instance, now with Luke, like, oh my God, he, he studied this, like, oh, that's bullshit. He's not a journalist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> anything yeah, 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 to stop yeah. just listening and asking questions. So it's a unique yeah. individual that has the patience. Even now in Corona, when I would just send them here from the most interview for 50 minutes, just for people to sit through it when it's something completely different, it's very difficult for people when they have an effective or a value disposition before yeah, listening to something. It also takes a lot of time, time and effort. I mean, if there are hundreds of conspiracy theories, and in my whole life, I have been able to debunk two of them. 
the dangers of shortwave radiation mm -hmm. in chemtrails. Of these two, mm -hmm. I'm really sure mm -hmm. because I've studied them in depth. I have have been paid to study them, mm -hmm. uh, some of them. So there I'm sure. But all the other ones, if people ask me, what do you think about it? I have to say, I, I don't know. The funny thing is that my thesis of sociology was about uh, the dangers of electromagnetic radiation. <laughs> that was my qualitative research, right? I did it like in Louvain. But one thing that isn't exactly or wasn't exactly clear is just the long-term consequences of these radiations and the yeah. energy. And, and this is also now with Corona. You can't know the long-term consequences because there's just not a time machine. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I have a lot of friends in the in the military, in the in the navy, because I know a few from from the air force and from the navy. There are many deaths now, cancer cases in the navy in people aged fifty, fifty five, mm. and it's not a coincidence because they've been on these ships on mission for months, and on that ship the radar is constantly on. Mm -hmm. Radar is the same frequency as our cell phones nowadays, same frequency as wireless internet. And that is harmful in the long term. I'm quite sure with, our, with what I see now, with all these deaths in the Navy, I'm sure that it's hard, not harmless. It is surfacing also, proof is surfacing. And that is only one aspect. That's one of the aspects I've studied. But there are so many aspects that I would like to study, but then I would need another four, 40, 50 lives to, to see what's happening. One thing I'm curious about is, the one thing that's different right now in this era is that so many things are recorded. So many things are being taped, being produced. If something changed about the narrative or what happens, we actually have proof. We actually have tape recording of what people said. Do you think if this would turn out really bad or really wrong? I mean, you kind of see that the narrative has changed a lot in terms of like how bad it is and how influential it is. Will ever these people be held accountable or have to pay for what they say? Because we have so much evidence right now. Get, will they just say like, we have and that's not the most, we just didn't know, and then we just skip it? Or one little, because that also doesn't cut it for me, like just one minute in the national news, oh, sorry, we kind of over-exaggerated a bit, sorry. And that, and that should make up two years of, of, of that thing, just one saying like, oh, sorry, or just one article. I feel the damage that they did, the societal model that they create, you know, the fear, the negative consequences. Shouldn't these journalists be held accountable in a certain way and politicians for what they said and they purposely kept on continuing? They should be, but they won't be. Politicians change their mind every every. 10 days, every 20 days. I mean, I can, I can quote you 10 quotes of our prime minister who are exactly the opposite of what he said before. So they're used to that. I mean, we are used to that. We're used to pol politicians telling us bullshit. They, it's their business. It's their way of living. They, they do everything to get the vote. Objectivity and reality is far from them. Couldn't be further off. A journalist is different. A journalist should be different. They should be thriving to to get to the truth and that's a big problem as i said in the beginning no journalism no media no pandemic they should be held more accountable than politicians because they are more guilty in my opinion than politicians a journalist that sits in front of a politician who says vaccination is the way out of the pandemic and doesn't say to his face dear sir we have proof that transmission is not hindered by vaccination. How can you say this? 
how you can say this in your in your own mind they don't do that i don't know any journalist who has said that and every day a politician left or right doesn't matter is coming to declare that on television vaccination is the way out of the pandemic it's not true we all know that you know that i know that journalists know that but they sit there and swallow and don't say anything that is really being guilty that is why i'm if if they ask me what i am i say I'd rather say i'm a pimp than i'm a journalist i mean it's atrocious if people want to find out more about you maybe for the dutch speaking people where can they find out more about you your articles or the the thing that occupy your your mind at the moment well i write for a few uh, monthlies but uh, mostly in sports uh, activities but they can find me on my facebook page on uh, me we on linkedin on social media i have no other communication channel for the moment are there any accusations that happens towards you like he's false opposition or sometimes you know the person in the middle they get shot at the most right and the rest they're just digging in the trenches well i've had the 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 normal load of shit load i think because i publish what i think is my opinion and what i've studied to be the right opinion but i don't i've come at an age i'm 72 i don't need to work anymore i have my little sauna where i can sweat and relax and i couldn't care less what people think about me so go ahead <laughs> one thing that i'm really curious about and i should read a bit about it is about how i mean we mostly focused on the germans in world war 2 how did the germans handle this trauma or this you know history is more nuanced than we think but realizing like oh we were brainwashed or we were into propaganda were most of the germans still in that cognitive dissonance they like no no it made sense like no no i made the right decision and that's it and just keep it up because i'm just really curious how how long they will keep this manipulation or lie going and will people for the rest of their life never admit they were wrong or were misinformed or made a stupid choice and just have this cognitive dissonance and rationalization or how will this proceed for most of the population in the future when they look back at this period of two years or three years or how long it will ever last it can only proceed when the fear subsides that's a key factor if the fear subsides people will look out of their window from the prison and say ah oh, the, the world is as it was before there is no danger we're not going to drop dead on the streets we can breathe without a mask we can hug our family and our, our children that's when things will start to change and as a journalist would you say then just stop watching the mainstream media and unplug yourself from it is there a way that the media itself will still change or repent and go in a different way or would you advocate like stop stop drawing your attention towards that screen and focus it on other things to reduce stop that watching. fear yes stop watching stop reading stop the, the mass media take yourself away from the mass media they're poisoning people for the moment they're really poisoning people the poison is really in depth so the only solution is as i did i don't watch tv i read the 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 conclusion afterwards but i don't watch tv anymore it's it's also on the level as you know that what my opinion perhaps about tv it's all made on the level of a 13 old 13 year old little little backwards i mean it's not made for serious people it is made in a very superfluous way in a very su- superficial way i mean if you see the talking heads on tv especially in the news these are not real people anymore and that's that's the real problem so get away from that try to find real people on the internet invite people try to invite someone who you think is speaking the truth as i invited geert van den bosse and matthias smit people who have now become my friends and that's the best thing that ever happened to me 
in the two years of kind of Corona. I mean, people can make new friends through this. Forget the mass media, inform yourself, try to meet the people who think you are speaking the truth, speak to them yourself and get your truth there. That's my advice. And how, because you need some critical instinct to have the gatekeeping of the truth and know what the channels are because you can be sucked into the really crazy stuff or you can be sucked into the brainwashing stuff. What is something people should look for? Like you can say like, yeah, look at alternative sources, but where do you find them? Just, just follow you and you will put some links there and they check it out. Like I'm, I'm already doing this for so many years, but I'm always wondering like, how do you open up people to this rabbit hole and then give them the tools to explore the truth themselves? Look for real people. Look for genuine people. Look for people that inspire trust. That's what I do. When I look at people, I say, could I trust them if I met them in a bar? Would I speak to them and trust them? Would I try to find out how they are? That's what you have to do. That's the only thing you can do. I mean, I don't, don't trust any of these faces on TV. I never trust a politician. I've worked with politicians for 10 years when I was a journalist. Some of them are trustworthy when they, you meet them in the bar afterwards, when they speak <laughs> their heart. But when they're in their official position, they're never trustworthy. But other people, genuine people, can be trusted, some of them, most of them, in fact. And if you meet them and you talk to them for a few hours, you know who they are. And that's what you can do. People are doing this now more and more. I see there are gatherings, there are people who feel the same about this whole, whole bullshit. And they come together and they, they say, hey, they, these are people like me. I can trust them. They're trustworthy. They don't lie all the time. They're yeah, or a last thing is... Not only they are trustworthy, they're willing to put their reputation on the line because a That's lot it. of people, they could just go with everything, make money, hold their tongue in their mouth and not say anything. But you also got to take a look. What, what is this person having to benefit from saying this? What is this doctor benefiting from saying this while losing his reputation, you know, putting himself on the line? There's often a lot more to lose in terms of public image than, than private gain for these people. Yeah, that's question number two. First question is, is this a real person? Is a real genuine person? Second question is, what is or do they have a second agenda, a double agenda? And if you find out that they don't, okay, trust them. I trust people like that. I meet them. I try to meet them. I try to talk to them. And then I invest my trust. And that trust is usually forever, unless they do something to really put me off, but that trust is forever. And that I advise to, to everyone. Try to do your own research, not in research, researching the truth, but in finding people who you can trust and they will do the job for you. That's again, going more local, like you said, thanks yeah. for being a, a news pimp <laughs> in an objective way. And thanks you so much for uh, speaking your mind and your opinion on my podcast. Thanks, Luke. My pleasure. I hope it helped. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.